Blessed Resurrection Sunday to everyone. Thank you for being here today. And we praise the Lord that, uh, that God has uh, given us this opportunity to, to uh, do this ministry online and be able to minister to all of you, um, even though we are uh, physically separated from one another. Uh, let me read to you a passage found in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, then we're going to go into prayer afterwards. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to, to uh, 3. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I, plea, I preach to you which you receive, which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you of first importance, which I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to scripture. This is the gospel uh, as given to us by the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, thank you, and we honor you and praise you. That, Lord, you've given us this blessing, O oh God, of, of the resurrection of your son, Jesus. That not only that he died for our sins, through paying for our sins, O oh God, all our sins, through his blood on Calvary, Lord. But also, he rose back to life to give us new life. And, Lord, we have hope, we have joy, we have eternal life because of what he has accomplished on our behalf. And not only that he resurrected, he ascended to heaven and he is now on the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, today, Lord, we, we rejoice, we celebrate that, Lord, that through the life of your Son, we have salvation, we have eternal life, and we have hope. Thank you, Lord. And this, this, this gift of salvation is not only for us, but it is offered to the whole world, Lord God, to anyone, to anyone who, whoever, to whoever believes in you, receives you and accepts you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord. And we, and we are looking forward to the day that Jesus returns to earth during his second coming. And this is the blessed hope for all of us as believers. And we rejoice in this. Thank you, Lord. Bless your word as, as I speak your word, Lord. Bless everyone who is listening. May your words be an encouragement to everyone, Lord. Lord, I can only do this by your power and strength. You know, I am incapable to do anything, O oh God, uh, in, that's of eternal value, Lord, unless you work through me, through your Holy Spirit, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you grant us peace and, and, and comfort and joy, Lord God, even though many of us are... are our Lord, are in our homes, O oh God, and, and we're affected, Lord, by this pandemic right now, Lord. But Lord, continue to fill our hearts with hope and joy uh, in spite of the circumstance we are in, Lord. And Lord, we just uh, give you thanks that, that you are with us, Lord, that you never left us or forsaken us, Lord God, that you always provide for our needs, O oh God, even at, in such a time as this. And Lord, Lord, I pray that, that you will be glorified in what we're going to do today, Lord. Lord, all glory be to you. In your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
before I head to the message, I encourage you to check our, uh, uh, our Facebook page um, because the notes for this message is on, on our Facebook page. Uh, it's under notes. Uh, uh, it's under the notes uh, link there. And it's uh, the same as the area where we put all our prayer, um, prayer items as well. So, so just check out the notes. All the verses are there and all the details. And there's more details there that I added uh, so that you can read on your own as well. And today, as I, I preach on the resurrection of Jesus, I would like to focus mostly on the resurrection. And, and although we read uh, Revelation as our, as our passage for today, but I, wanna, I want to do some, uh, just a, a short intro of Revelation towards the end. But I want to speak mainly on the resurrection. Uh, because this is what we are here for today, to, to, to worship God, to praise the Lord for, for his uh, resurrection. And, and I would like to take this opportunity to preach also to those who are listening that are still skeptical when it comes to the resurrection, those who are on the fence when, they, when it comes to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, wanted, I want to address this message to those, to those who are on that, on that situation where you're not sure whether I, you're going to believe in the Lord or believe in the resurrection, and is Jesus really, really God? Is Jesus really the Christ? Can I entrust my life for, to him for my salvation? So I'm speaking to those. And for us believers, I pray that this message will, will encourage you even more, strengthen your faith. This is probably something you heard before already, but I pray that this is in such a way that will help you be established more in the truth, because you know that faith comes from hearing the word of God. And the more you know the truth, the more you understand truth, your faith is going to be more established, strengthened. In fact, another definition of faith is being persuaded. So I hope that uh, through this message, you'll be persuaded even more in, in what you believe. You are convinced even more in what you believe uh, as, a, as, a, as a follower of Christ. That, that those, those small doubts that you have are, 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 are you know, little by little being, being uh, removed from the back of your minds and your thinking. And, 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 and also, I hope that through this message, you will learn how to make a, a good defense, you know, when you present the gospel, when somebody asks you for the hope, for, for your hope, for what you believe. And, and, and so you want to have a good explanation to people as well and be able to tell them, with confidence, you know, without, without uh, a fear or, or, or you know, um, or the second, second thought or anything like that, that you are very confident in defending your faith. So, so, so let's, let's, let's go to the, re talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And I entitled the message today just simply Resurrection, the Resurrection, and, and introducing to you towards the end uh, the, the Revelation, the, study, the book of Revelation as well. So many today, many people today are still skeptical of whether the resurrection really happened. You know, they, 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 they question the trustworthiness of the Bible and, and accounts, you know, that's written in, in, in Scripture, especially the Gospel and they would ask the question, how can someone who has been dead for three days be restored back to life? How can that happen? You know, this, the resurrection 
humanly speaking, is impossible. But with God, with God, the creator of heaven and earth, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. First thing I want us to know about the resurrection is that the resurrection is a historical reality. It really happened. It really happened. The intention of my message, one of the purpose of this message is to show you that the Christian faith, and, then, and I'm going to use what Peter said in his, in his letter, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths, meaning we Christians, we don't follow myths. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what we believe is not myths. This is historical reality, eyewitness account of what really happened. So this is what we believe as Christians. You know, in the last 2,000 years, many have tried to disprove the resurrection. Some say, some say it was not Jesus who died on the cross. You know, someone else took his place. You know, some people say also that Jesus merely fainted. And, and he, just, he, just, he was just resuscitated, you know, after, after the crucifixion. And some say also the disciples just stole the body and made up a story about the resurrection. In fact, that last item there is documented in Matthew 13. You know, this was the reason the Pharisees and other leaders, religious leaders of Israel use, you know, to explain the missing body of Jesus. But however... Every attempt, every attempt to disprove the resurrection in the past, you know, thousands of years have failed. They have failed. You know, no one ever succeeded in disproving the resurrection. In fact, many of those who seriously went to investigate with the intention, you know, to disprove the resurrection, they investigated the resurrection with the purpose of disproving the resurrection and disproving the Christian faith. But in the process, they discovered that the gospel accounts, the Bible, the accounts of the apostles were trustworthy and historical. That Jesus indeed died on the cross, that Jesus indeed was buried, and Jesus indeed was, uh, has physically risen after, uh, after three days. This is what these people found out. And their discoveries, these people who were set out to disprove the resurrection, because of their discovery, they ended up con converting to Christianity. You know, one example um, is this person, Sir, Sir William Mitchell Ramsey. He was born in 1851, and he was raised as an atheist. You know, he was a brilliant man, regarded one of the greatest archaeologist ever. So that's, uh, that's a good, um, you know, he, he was a reputable person in the field of the, in the scientific field. And he believed, as a young person, he believed the Bible is historically inaccurate and most of the Bible is mythology. So this skeptic, this person, uh, and he's not just skeptic but an atheist, he, he believed that the Bible is just myths. So when, when Ramsey uh, went uh, did an archaeological research in Asia Minor, that's Turkey today, in 1881. 
he hoped to find more evidence against the Bible, against specially, uh, specifically the book of Acts. But instead, he discovered fact after fact after fact that supported the Bible. And his discoveries led him, led to his conversion to Christianity. He became a Christian as a result of his archaeological finds. And you know, there's many people like this. You know, modern examples is Lee Straubel or Josh McDowell. You know, if you go to the notes that I have online, I, gave, I, gave a sh I just put in a short uh, biography there of these two persons and how they came to know Christ. You know, they, they were skeptics at the beginning, but they, they tried to do serious investigation. It comes to the life of Jesus and the resurrection, and they ended up, in the end, becoming believers themselves. You know, when Jesus and the apostles raised the dead back to life, you know, there were people that Jesus raised back to life. We know of Lazarus. You know, among the apostles, we know that Dorcas was raised back to life as well. And these people, like Lazarus and Dorcas, they end up, ended up dying again later in life. But what's different about Jesus' resurrection is that he rose back to life and never to face death again, never face death again. In fact, in Hebrews uh, 7, 24, we are told that Jesus lives forever. After his resurrection, he lives forever. He, he's, he, he is never going to face death anymore, unlike Lazarus or, or, or Dorcas. And Jesus himself said his words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall, yet he shall live. Let me tell you, no one in the history of this world ever made this claim. No one else, I mean no one else except Jesus. Think about this. No one else ever made this claim since the beginning of human history where he said, I am the resurrection and life and the life. Only Jesus Christ. And what's even more amazing and more powerful is that he has proven this claim by his own resurrection. He has proven this claim by his own resurrection. You know, the resurrection is the only explanation for many things in the Christian life. And I'm going to name three here. The resurrection is the only explanation for the, for the existence of the Christian faith. The reason why we have Christianity today is because of the resurrection. Says we in scripture we we find that without the resurrection there'll be no Christianity. You know, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus did not write even a single book. The crowds, when Jesus preached to the crowds, they did not understand his sermons. Even the disciples did not understand Jesus most of the time. And a few times. When he preached, people wanted to kill him. 
because of his message. You know, that's not a formula for, for, for a big religion or a big revival. And, and he made it hard for people to follow him. You know, how many times, do you remember when Jesus said, when he said, eat my body, drink my blood? Many of his disciples, the first set of disciples, they left. He made it difficult for people to follow him. One time he said, you know, if you want to follow me, sell all your possessions. If you want to follow me, carry your cross. No wonder Jesus did not have a huge following. In fact, towards the end of his uh, uh, three-year ministry, but right before his crucifixion, he had only 12 a fearful man who was following him, maybe a few more, and a few women. But even these people who were with him right at the end, they all ran away right before the crucifixion or even before the trial. So how would you explain the birth of Christianity without the resurrection? Only the resurrection explains why there's such a thing as a Christian faith. As the Christian faith. Because looking at the, at the last minute or last few hours of Jesus' life, he almost had no followers at all. They all left. The resurrection is the only explanation that changed the lives of the disciples. It changed the personalities, the, you know, the, the, how the disciples, you know, face uh, the Romans and the Jews. You know, they changed from being cowards to courageous. How do you explain this? And they changed from being cowards to courageous overnight. If you look at the lives of the apostles, of the disciples right before the crucifixion, even before the resurrection itself, they, they all ran away before Jesus' trial. Peter, the leader of the group, denied Jesus three times. You know, they were not, they were not the kind of people who would come up with a religion, you know, figure out a religion uh, based on the story or the life of their dying master. You know, they're not the kind of people who would steal the body of Jesus from the tomb. Think of fishermen and tax collectors against Roman soldiers. I don't think they would even come close to the tomb. These are not the kind of people who would start a false religion. They were already fearful of their, for their life while Jesus was still alive. They were afraid of dying already. So why would they start a religion when Jesus is already dead? Jesus was alive and they ran away already. If there was one person who can start a new religion and steal the body maybe, or do something maybe to come up with a false claim, it's probably Judas. Because he's probably the smartest of the group, most educated among the 12. But he betrayed Jesus and he hanged himself. So that's a dead end there. Another thing is the resurrection is the only explanation for Paul's conversion. You know, no disciple of Jesus ever wanted to come close to Paul 
because they know it's going to be off with their heads if they're going to come close to the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a relentless enemy of, the, of Christ. He was a relentless persecutor. He actually went to other, other countries and, and other cities outside of Israel to, 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 to uh, arrest Jew, Jews, Christian Jews and bring them back to Jerusalem. He raided those cities just to find Christians. You know, there's no argument, no reasoning that, that would convince Paul to follow Jesus. He was an intellectual, intellectual and he was a Pharisee. So I don't think even Peter would be able to win Paul to Christianity. It's only the resurrection. It is only him seeing the risen Christ with his own eyes that brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. It is only the resurrected Christ that was able to, to, to bring Paul to salvation, convert Paul to Christianity. You know, uh, more than a year ago, I guess it's more than a year ago, you know, I had a, a moment with Ethan. We had our, you know, Rel and I, we have these dates with our, with our uh, nephew, nephews and one niece. <laughs> well, we, sorry, we haven't been doing this regularly recently. But there was one time Ethan and I had a conversation and we, I remember we were sitting at, the, at one of the hallways at, on Hobby, uh, Hobby Lobby and we were looking at different stuff in Hobby Lobby and he, he asked me this question. He said, he said, Uncle Al, is Jesus really a real person? I said, yeah, yeah. Uncle Al, how do you know that Jesus is a real person? I said, his life is recorded in the Bible, and I trust what the Bible has revealed to us. Then he responded to me, only the Bible? Only the Bible? Wow, an eight-year-old is able to think like that. And at that, that kind of question, he was actually questioning the trustworthiness of the Bible. The trustworthiness of the gospel, the trustworthiness of the gospel account. So how do you answer that question to an eight-year-old? And I hope you can learn from this as well. You know, to, to answer that question, to answer that question of Ethan, is there, are there other documents or, or ancient documents that, that, that tells us about the life of Jesus outside the Bible? outside of the Bible, that proves that Jesus was really a real person, a historical person. He lived in the first century. He died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Are there other documents that tell us? Outside of the Bible. I'm not referring to the Bible, but outside of the Bible. Yes, there are many. There are many documents. We don't have time to go through all those different documents. It's Many are not directly, but as well as, but also indirectly refers to the disciples and Jesus. But I'm going to give you just two examples from the first century. And these are two different historians. One is a Roman historian, and the other is a Jewish historian who was siding with Rome. The first one is Cornelius Tacitus. Uh, he lived from 55 to 120 AD, so that's around the time when the Bible was being written. You know, Paul was, was, was arrested, taken to Rome around 64 AD. So, so it's around the time of Paul as well. And of course, Flavius Josephus is just a few years after Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave. That was around 30 AD. That's when the Holy Spirit came 
you know, on Pentecost around 3080. So, so he was born just a, just a few years, seven years after that. And of course, he probably witnessed the, the growth of Christianity uh, through the apostles. And this is what they said. Cornelius Tacitus, a Roman historian. This is, these are not Christians. They are, they are non-believers. In his writings, he talked about Christus. He called Jesus Christus, uh, the, fo- the founder of Christianity, who was put to death. This is in his writings. He said he was put to death by Pontius Pilate, the governor of, of Ju- Judea. And he said Christianity is a harmful religion or a harmful super- superstition. That's what he called Christianity. Uh, Flavius Josephus, for instance, he, has, he wrote a lot of things. And this is just a very small part of his writings. Um, he also talks about Jesus being condemned to the cross under Pontius Pilate. And he mentions the claims of Jesus' followers. It's in his writings that, that Jesus appeared to them three days after his crucifixion. So he, he said that, you know, these people who are Christians, who are believers in this guy named Jesus, they are saying that this man Jesus, you know, rose again after three days. So, so the, the resurrection is also documented outside of the Bible in these documents that are historical. So it seems in these two documents, Pontius Pilate is, 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 is very popular. And I want to show you just, just a side note here. You know, there was this slab in 1961, a stone slab that was discovered in Caesarea in, 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 in Israel. And, and this was part of a building. It, it was actually a part of a temple that was dedicated to Tiberius Caesar. And the one who, who dedicated this temple to Tiberius was Pontius Pilate. So it was Pontius Pilate who probably uh, built this and, 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 or you know, funded the building, maybe. And, and, and at that time, he was the prefect or he was the governor of G- Judea. And you know what this tells you? That you have here, I would call this an... Uh, a witness, an unlikely witness to the gospel accounts because this, what, what is marked on this stone, what is marked on this stone matches with what Luke has written in Luke chapter 3 verse 1, just the first part of the passage. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. So Luke was saying that Pontius Pilate was the governor when Tiberius Caesar was the emperor of Rome at the time and You know, that rock, that stone, uh, corroborates with with what's written in the gospel. You know, there's many things like this. We don't, you know, sermon would not be that place for this, but there's many things like this. And encourage you to investigate uh, because, you know, it helps you with with your faith be more confident. This is not the source of our faith. You know, it's purely the word of God is enough for our faith, but this helps you, you know, understand better and know how to defend your faith when you talk to non-believers. And these are the kinds of things that probably William, you know, uh, uh, Ramsey probably saw when he went to Asia Minor. He saw these things and say, wow, this confirms what the Gospels is saying. This confirms what the book of Acts is saying. And he became a Christian, a believer through his discoveries. You know, going back to our first passage earlier, 
going back to our first passage earlier, that we as Christians, we don't follow cleverly devised myths. We don't, we don't follow myths. These, these are historical evidence, uh, events. These are people that live in the first century. These are real events and real people. And, and, and we have the witnesses, the witness of the apostles, the witness of the early disciples. In fact, uh, Peter said that we are eyewitnesses of his majesty and their testimony that Peter, uh, uh, Paul, John, and the rest of the disciples, the first 12 disciples, and of course the apostles, we trust what they have written. We trust their testimony. Their testimony is trustworthy. And this is, this is, what, this is what I would like us to confess today because this, this statement that I read at the beginning, the, verse, the passage that I read in the, the beginning of our time together in 1 Corinthians 15, this was actually a creed that was recited by the early disciples, early follower of Jesus. This was an early creed. And then, you know, back then the Bible was not yet written. So how will the people know the gospel? What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And so they memorize things, what we call creeds, so that they can remember what they believe. And I would like us to say this out loud. You're in your homes right now. If you see the screen right now, I want the, the white portion there. Let's read this together as a whole, as a church. Let's read this together and, and, and declare that this is what we believe as Christians. Let's, let's do this together, okay? One, two, three. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You know, that statement, according to the Scriptures, it talks about Old Testament prophecy and the eyewitness account of the apostles. And we are making a confession based on their account, based on their testimony. Resurrection, another thing about the resurrection, it is at the core of Christianity. It is at the core of Christianity. And by the way, I hope that the first part of this sermon has given you more confidence, you know, in, in, in sharing your faith. Don't be intimidated when people ridicule you. Don't be intimidated when people, you know, make fun of you or saying that you're not scientific and we are more scientific. We know better than you Christians. You are, your knowledge is ancient. Don't be intimidated by that because you, the truth is on your side, Christians. Truth is on your side. And, 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 and you will be proven right eventually. Maybe now there are things that they may not know, they may not understand fully, but one day they will know that you told them the truth. One day they will know that you spoke the truth to them. So don't be intimidated right now because right now the people who reject Christ and the gospel, they don't see the way you see things. They don't understand the way you understand things. So just keep on sharing. Don't be intimidated. And I hope what I shared earlier would, would give you more confidence in sharing your faith to others. The resurrection is the core of Christianity. 
It is the core of our Christian faith. If someone is able to disprove the resurrection, listen to this, if someone is able to disprove the resurrection, the Christian faith will fall apart. Everything else in the Christian in Christianity will just fall down. That's how important the resurrection is. Just, just think about what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 15, the same passage, the same chapter we read earlier. He uh, says here that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Think about this. If Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, we are still going to hell. And we are still sinners, you know, um, enemies of God. We are not children of God. We are not reconciled with God without the resurrection. But the same guy, same man, who was once an enemy of Christ, a persecutor of the church, that same person, in the next few verses, he said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. First fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He affirms, this man who was once persecutor of Christianity affirms that Christ was raised from the dead. What does the resurrection do? In terms of, what, what does it prove? What does it uh, authenticate? And I'm going to give three things here. First thing, the resurrection proves or authenticates, authenticates that, that Jesus, what Jesus said about himself and his teaching is true. It, 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 it authenticates Jesus' person, he, who he is, and what he has done. That everything he said about himself is trustworthy, and it's, it's the truth. And all his teaching, it's the truth. Secondly, the resurrection authenticates Jesus' sacrifice, that his the, the, what he's done on the cross was effective. What he's done on the cross has, has been accepted by the Father. And, and that his blood paid for our sins. Without the resurrection, you know, the sacrifice, would, the Jesus' sacrifice would be, would be uncertain. But with the resurrection, it means that God the Father was satisfied. He was satisfied with what Jesus has done on our behalf to save us. Thirdly, Jesus is indeed the Christ. The resurrection proves, authenticates that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Christ. I know some of you are a bit confused. I thought Jesus, Christ is Jesus' last name. No, it, it's not His last name. It is His title. That's why we, it's better to say Jesus the Christ uh, because it clear, it's clearer. You understand better what it means, that He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is the, the confession of, of Peter when Jesus asked him, Peter, who do you say I am? Jesus, Jesus Peter replied, without probably even thinking, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, because it was given to him by the Holy Spirit. And this is what the resurrection proves and authenticates. And Jesus said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. This time, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world, according to John 4, 42. But when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, 
You know, the first coming of Jesus that was 2,000 years ago, we call it the advent of Christ. You know, he came as a baby. And he, he died on the cross, which what we remember during this time, uh, during this time of the year, uh, during the uh, Holy Week. He died on the cross, was buried for three days, and rose again after, on the third day. And after his resurrection, he returned back to heaven. And he ascended back to heaven. And he is now in the right hand of God, the Father. And he intercedes for us, his followers, his children, his church. But at the same time, he is the head of the church. He leads us. But he is still in heaven. And, and, and of course, the one that's here with us today is the Holy Spirit in us, around us, living uh, through us uh, in, in, in sir, and working, doing his work through our lives. That's, the Holy Spirit is, is really greatly at work in, in, in this time uh, of history. And, and the Bible tells us that, that Jesus is going to come back. And, and we call this the blessed hope in Titus 2, um, 2.13 that, that we are waiting as Christians. In fact, this is the most awaited event. In fact, the, the the awaited event of all Christianity for the last 2,000 years. Even the apostles waited for this. The, the Christians that were persecuted during the, the, you know, the, the, the time of intense persecution uh, to, with the Roman Empire, you know, the, the, those people were waiting for this. And throughout the centuries, every believer throughout the century, uh, different uh, periods in history, waited for this. We are still waiting for the coming of our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That passage tells us that Jesus is our God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when he returns, he is not going to come anymore as a humble baby and he's not going to anymore sacrifice his life on the cross or some kind of sacrifice for sin. This time, he's going to come back as, as the king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to establish his earthly kingdom. And he will judge the nations. That's why uh, in this other passage, um, and this was also in Revelation, actually, in, verse, in that chapter, that, uh, in the verses that Ethan read, then he will appear in heaven and the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Power and great glory. That will be an amazing, amazing sight, seeing Jesus coming down from heaven with all his millions and millions of angels. That will be an amazing sight, and I, I, I'm looking forward to see that, that, that moment. But you notice there's, there's one, here, one statement here that's sobering, and, and you should be concerned with its statement. It says there, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why would the tribes of the earth, why would the nations of the earth mourn at the coming of Jesus Christ? Why would that happen? Why, 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 what's, what's the meaning of this? Because there will be many people today, even today, who, have, who will reject Jesus. 
who will reject the offer of salvation that he has given to all of us through the cross. And that at the time when Jesus returned, time is up for them. The time is over. Because when Jesus returned, he returned he's not going to come as a savior. He's going to come as a judge at that point in, in history. And so, the time for salvation is now. The time for accepting, surrendering, surrendering your life to Jesus is now. Don't wait for the second coming and don't wait for, for death. Because life is uncertain. If you are one of those who has been skeptical about who Jesus is, the trustworthiness of the Bible, and, 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 and you're not sure whether you surrender, you're going to surrender your life to Christ, to believe in Him or not. You know, before you make a decision, I encourage you and I, I plead before you. Before you make a decision, like Ramsey, like, like Lee Straubel, or Josh McDowell, you can read about them on the notes that I sent. On the, on the Facebook page. Please investigate the claims of Christ first. Please investigate. Please investigate biblical Christianity, not just any kind of, you know, made-up Christianity of today. Go back to the Bible and find out what Christianity is from the Bible. Find out what Christianity is for yourself. Don't rely on someone else or, or whatever book you read. Go back first to the Bible. And find out what does the Bible say about Christianity? Who is Jesus? Investigate, claim for yourself. Don't rely on some person, some priest, some pastor. Maybe they can help you in the process. But you have to find this out for yourself. And then when you come to know and understand what, who Jesus is, his claims, and what is biblical Christianity? Then that's when you can make a decision. I encourage you to make a decision at that point. Whether you're going to surrender your life to Christ, accept Him as your Lord and Savior, and give your life to Him, or reject Him. But I encourage you to make an informed decision. That you know what you're, the decision that you're making. You understand the decision that you're making. You understand both sides. And so, your side and the side of God. I'm going to end in this, in this point. Just the one more point. Uh, it's what, what Jesus said. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. God did not come. Jesus, His first coming, when He came as a baby, He didn't come here to condemn you, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He came to bring salvation. That is the first mission of Jesus when he came to earth 2,000 years ago. And he says here, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's past tense. Meaning, your salvation or your condemnation hinges on your belief, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the reason why a person is already condemned? Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. You know, in such a time as this, for believers, I want to say this, that this is a great opportunity for us to draw closer to God. Since we're staying in our homes most of the time, it's an opportunity for us to draw nearer to our Lord. You know, um, we know that He is our only hope in such a time as this. There's a, there's a song that says that Jesus is our solid rock. He's the solid rock we stand and all, all other ground is sinking sand. And so when you, what you discover today is that everything else is sinking sand. Your career, your finances, your health, your schooling, your education. I mean, everything else is showing us as just quicksand. They are not good foundation to stand on. These are not good foundations where you, where you build your life upon. Because God is telling us that these are just going to be sand and they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to be washed away. Like the, like the house that was built on sand when the storm comes, it's just, it's gone. And if you built your life on your career, if you built your life on your uh, you know, intellectual knowledge, education, finances, you know, uh, whatever things you try to accomplish, maybe your savings account, your retirement account. We discovered this time around that these are just sinking sand. It's not the kind of things you want to build your life upon. Jesus is saying, I am the solid rock. Jesus is saying, he is the solid rock on which we should be building our life on. Building our life upon. And you know, a lot of people are in fear and we, we pray, Lord, help them overcome their fear. You know, the only way for people to overcome any kind of fear is to surrender their life to Christ because the Bible says that it is faith and it is perfect love which is love for God and love for the Lord Jesus Christ and His love for us, it is perfect love that casts away fear. And so if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're going to struggle with fear all your life until you surrender your life to Him. Until, until you give your life to him, to him and experience His love, experience who He is. Being God, being our Savior, being our Lord who gave His all His life for you. The Bible says, perfect love. You know, the greatest expression of love is someone giving his life for his friends. And Jesus did that for us. Greatest expression of love on the cross. And knowing that love, experiencing that love, and knowing him as a person, the Bible says, cast away fear, removes fear. And this is short. Bear with me, this is short portion, the last one. The resurrection is the unveiling of God's plan. It's the unveiling of God's amazing, glorious, glorious plan. You might be wondering, what is the big picture? You know, we, we see Jesus 2,000 years ago coming to earth as a baby, dying on the cross, then, then, then resurrected, ascended to heaven, then 
then who is now in the right hand of the Father, interceding for the church, building up his body. The church is growing, his body is growing. This, is, this was the rock in, in Daniel's uh, vision, uh, and of course Nebuchadnezzar's vision, and, and the rock that, that just crumbled every other kingdom that ever existed in the world. And, and this rock continues to grow and grow and grow. And this is the church. And at a, at a certain point in, in the future, Jesus is going to take his church. You know, there's different uh, views to this. Then he's going to come back from heaven with all his angels, with all his glory. And what's, what's, what's this? What is the meaning of all this? You know, when Jesus was being sentenced by uh, by by Pilate, uh, this picture here, this is a very, I, li- I really like this painting. Uh, you know, Jesus stood before Pilate and he stood before the crowd in Jerusalem. And, you know, from a human standpoint, it seems that this was the end of the Jesus movement. This is the end of Christianity from a human perspective here. But there's something that all these people did not know. Even Pilate did not know this that he was standing in the presence of the one who created him. Pilate was standing in the presence of the creator of heaven and earth. And the the resurrection from a human standpoint seems to be a hopeless situation, but it is part of God's ultimate plan. The, the crucifixion, sorry. The crucifixion was, seems to be a hopeless situation. But it's part of God's ultimate plan. And this, I'm just going to read to you two, two verses. Um, that this is where God wants to take us. Far above every rule. Ephesians 1, 21 to 22. Far above every rule and authority, power and dominion. And every name that is invoked. Not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under the feet under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Talking about Jesus Christ being, being the head over everything. And another passage also, I'm just going to go through this as well. Verse 27, For he has put everything under his feet. Now when he says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God the Father, talking about God the Father himself, who put everything under, under Christ. So what we're seeing is that God's plan is to put everything under the Lord Jesus Christ. That He is ruler over all, all in all, of course, except God the Father, but He is over everything. And this is the plan of God at the end of time. And the question is, how is this going to happen? It's the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. This is described in the book of Revelations. How is this plan going to, Revelation, how, how is this going to unfold? And I'm going to read to you just the first verse in introducing our series on Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 1, chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. The word revelation means the unveiling. It's, the, it's where we get the word apocalypse. Apocalypse. The word apocalypse is not talking about, you know, I know we always uh, you know, connect it with calamities and bad things, 
but it simply means the unveiling. Unveiling. And this is where God unveils His plan for the, for, for the entire universe, heaven and earth. Because you notice, prior to the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples did not understand the message of Jesus fully. The crowds, did not, of course, did not understand Jesus. And there were many things that Jesus did that, that, the, that the disciples didn't, was not able to figure out. Even at the last moment. You know, Jesus, they thought Jesus is going to build an earthly kingdom. But Jesus ended up dying on the cross. And only then the disciples realized that this was not an earthly kingdom. This was a spiritual kingdom that Jesus was building. And so it was through the resurrection that the plan of God was being unveiled before the eyes of the, the disciples. They were able to see more and more what God was planning to do. And now with the rev study of Revelation, as we study Revelation, we're going to see more. Because God wants to reveal His plan, His purpose to His people. He, wa he wants to reveal what He's about to do. That is what God uh, that this is what God did with the prophets back in the Old Testament, and He's still doing it now. He wants to reveal future events, and Revelation, you know, talks about future events. Uh, and and we, uh, when you study the book of Revelation, you're gonna see you're gonna see the resurrection of the living and the dead. You will see the eventual triumph of God and the Church and the Lamb. You'll see that good will triumph over evil in Revelation. That in the end, evil will be no more. In fact, the last, the last um, enemy the, the, that God will destroy, that Christ will destroy is death. And, and, and Revelation closes the entire Bible. It is the closing book of the entire Bible. You know, back in the day when I, when I, when I uh, read Revelation, I feel scared because it's hard to understand. Uh, and and uh, there are a lot of imagery there that, that's hard to understand. And, and so I, I, I sort of stay away from the book of Revelation. But what's interesting is that many of the imagery in the book of Revelation is already found in the rest of the Bible. It's found in the Old and, New, and some parts of the New Testament as well, all the details. And so the only way for you to understand the, the book of Revelation is not just by reading Revelation. You have to understand the entire Bible. You have to understand the entire Bible to be able to understand Revelation. And so in closing, this, this is what we're going to do as a church in the next several months and hopefully um, will be done by the end of the year. If not, we'll continue to the next year uh, and study the entire book of Revelation. And I pray that we will go We'll be in this journey together as a church to study Revelation, especially uh, at, the at a time such as this. this. Because I know we all have lots of questions. Uh, what is this event? Is, has this been prophesied in Revelation already? Is this part of the end times or is it just a one-off thing? So that's something we have to be, ask God, you know, deal with God, but, but it's another topic for some other time.
morning, morning, Lord, for those who are in need. And Lord, we're excited, Lord God, that one day you'll come back, Lord, and take us to be with you. And Lord, we will have our own resurrected bodies, Lord God, without sickness, without COVID, without pain, without pneumonia or anything that we are worrying about right now, Lord. And so we're excited for that, Lord. But this time in history, Lord, at this very moment, Lord, Lord, that's the prayer I've heard from my brothers and sisters. Give us the courage to preach your word, to share the gospel. Because, Lord, we don't want many people to mourn, O oh God, on your coming, Lord. Lord, we want them to rejoice when you return, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you save people through our lives, Lord. Use us. Give us the courage to preach your word, the gospel, Lord. And share with boldness, with confidence, that we will not be intimidated, Lord, by what people do or say against us, Lord. Lord God, give us that courage. Especially people in, among our own families, Lord. It'll be a sad day, Lord, when you return, Lord, that there'll be mourning and we'll be rejoicing, oh God. Lord God, I ask you to give us the courage that we will not be ashamed, we'll not be afraid. Give us the wisdom. And whatever we heard today, Lord, help us to remember these things, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May your grace and your peace and your love fill our hearts, Lord. Oh, glory to you, Lord Jesus, our Savior. To you, oh, Father God in heaven. And thank you, oh, Holy Spirit, for being in us, with us, while leading and guiding us. Amen. Amen.